Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933. Online at mypremierortho.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with my co-host for today, Kyle Stokes from Impact Indiana and WFIU. Um, today, we're uh, pleased to have Indiana University President Michael McRobbie with us in the studio. If you want to uh, join us today on the program, you can call us at 8 uh, 855-0811 or 877-285-9348, or you can go to... Uh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So you can also join the, the website. Exactly. We right. also have a live chat going on there as well. So if you'd like to leave a comment, you can do that uh, on our website, uh, which is uh, indianapublicmedia.org slash Noon Edition. All right. Well, President McRobbie, thanks for coming. Delighted to be here as always. Well, always nice yeah. to have you on. And there's always stuff to talk about. There's Absolutely. Always, always things. I, I want to start off with uh, talking about the, the General Assembly because, uh, you know, it's just – just ended. Wanted to get your take. I guess how would you how would you grade how higher education and IU did this year in the in the oh, legislature? I I think um, uh, overall it was uh, a, a pretty successful session for us. Um, the, partly in terms of I think a, a, a couple of bills that were that were passed. Um, one that uh, that brings about some changes to. Uh, the, the statute that governs um, our board of trustees updates it, modernises in ways that I think are, are very important uh, to us as well. And uh, there were a couple of other uh, – there was another uh, uh, bill I can think of that that, that probably um, would have been uh, a little problematic for us uh, concerning our uh, state network uh, that we were able to come up with, a, I think, a quite workable uh, compromise in the end. So, so I think um, on the whole the – uh, the university and higher education did uh, reasonably well out of the out of the session. Um, the uh, there, there certainly were some uh, some bills that uh, that got through. The one about um, uh, the number of um, the credits that comprise a degree that will take a fair amount of work on our part. But uh, but on the whole, we're we're we either conform or, or very close to conforming with what's required uh, there anyway. So um, I think. Um, uh, although we have some reservations about the legislature getting involved at that level of detail in what in what we do, we think we can work with uh, with that bill. And in the in the broad scheme of that bill, I mean, what it essentially says is only that if you have more than 120 hours, you just have to answer for it. But in most cases, we're talking about programs with something like 128 hours. We're, or something we're, well, like in that, fact, right? you know, probably close to 124. Uh, uh, we, when we when we had a comprehensive look at all our programs, the ones that exceed 120 don't exceed it by much. You know, 124, and you know maybe a bit more. And of course, the ones that may exceed it by a lot more almost invariably are ones where that is a requirement of, of accreditation and the professional standards in that in that particular field. And of course, the legislation now makes provision for um, 
uh, for such uh, exceptions too, which is you know appropriate. You, you mentioned the uh, the network. You're talking about iLight, yes. I assume, mm-hmm. and I know that was one of your concerns uh, mm-hmm. midway through the session. Right. The iLight high high speed broadband mm-hmm. network, mm-hmm. and that was uh, the the uh, legislature was talking about basically doing some things that would have uh, thwarted that, I believe. Well, I th- I think there was a, a, a concern. I mean, one I think that's perfectly reasonable about about what is effectively a, a state resource um, c- competing in an open way with the commercial sector. And I, uh, I've, I've never advocated that. I think that, that would, uh, is not appropriate and, and so on. Um, and that the, the state um, high-speed network called, called iLight is really there to support research and education in the state. But Research and education in the state, as far as Indiana University is concerned, and, and Purdue to a significant degree, is a large, complex organization that doesn't just exist in Bloomington or Indianapolis or West Lafayette. It, it exists in dozens and dozens of sites mm-hmm. across across the state. And um, I think one has to be always be very careful about legislating about the uses and, and non-uses of technology because what seems sensible today – I think just a cursory understanding of what's happened with technology over the last 20 or 30 years shows that almost certainly it's going to be different in 10 years' time <laughs> and will have completely bypassed the intent of whatever that legislation is. So, so that's, I think, always a, um, a cautionary note in, in, in uh, any kind of legislation about technology. Yeah, 20 or 30 years sounds like a lifetime when technology it, so. In technology, I, I think a, a, a lifetime or generation, a generation is probably yeah. is probably less than 10 years. Yeah. You know, five or six years is probably closer to a lifetime in, te- in, in technology. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other uh, issues that you, you had been concerned about was uh, – and I think a lot of this goes back to the – the state legislatures, um, where their authority should lie over the university. I know you talked about or there was discussion about um, possibly the the trustees not having the authority to set tuition rates where they should be, um, you know, having caps on on tuition and all sorts of issues. Um, How did you come out with that? Well, uh, there there was um, discussion of a a bill that – that would have uh, provided um, uh, caps on effectively provided caps on on tuition, and that didn't proceed. And I, I'd like to think that that a combination of factors has demonstrated repeatedly over recent years that we really are serious about um, doing um, all we can to, to reasonably curb um, costs and and uh, expenditures in the university, and to to endeavour to become more efficient uh, uh, in in the university, while at the same time maintaining um, our uh, our high standards. And uh, I think, as you know, in the um, the last session, uh, not not only just finished, but before that, or actually after the session, when we were fi- finalising our budget, um, uh, we increased tuition only by what was recommended by the state commission for higher education, and and their their recommendation is just that a recommendation. Uh, and we, what we did do was to, to um, add on uh, an additional uh, special fee, a temporary special fee, um, to cover the uh, cost of funding um, R&R uh, since that had uh, not been fully funded for, for 10 years. In fact, only been funded at about 25% of, its, of, of the formula that was the legislature's own formula. And we have a, a physical plant uh, across all the campuses of the university 
if you if you don't include athletics, worth at least five billion dollars uh, plus, without any provision for repair and maintenance of of that physical plan, we felt that the trustees felt that um, that we just had to take some action to deal with that in a more organised and methodical way, which is why they approved a um, a special uh, tuition uh, fee. And it's temporary. I mean, if we can persuade the legislature to restore R&R, then we will um, remove that fee. I'm just wondering, when you talk about what the legislative pressures are, but there are still costs, how you sort of square together the fact that there's this, there are these dual pressures of trying to cut costs, but also trying to, if you look at the performance funding formula, produce high-impact degrees, produce graduates that are going to go out and make an economic impact. And, and, and my real question is, how do you operate in that environment? Because it just seems like those are two almost contradictory ideas, I think one could argue. Well, um, they, they're, they're probably not contradictory, but, there's, but there is certainly tension between them. And, and uh, I think that is, that is the reality of, of higher education today. Um, Every one of the four components, the four main components of our budget is is under um, serious pressure. But that that is also the reality of the uh, the very difficult uh, financial situation that we've existed in for the last now about over three years with with the recession that has affected just about everybody and has affected uh, 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 issues like unemployment and uh, increase in um, average growth of salaries across the country and so on, all of those have been affected by it. And, of course, that plus a, uh, a, a change in, I think, the political climate about spending, uh, or at least a, a, a highly divided political climate about uh, about government spending and the need to deal with um, the federal government's uh, debt problems and so on, has has all um, increased the, the pressure on us. So, so clearly what it means is we, we just have to be constantly looking for ways that we can be more more efficient and and uh, more effective while while maintaining our standards and and it certainly is a challenge and it's not it's not easy and i think that's the that is the lot especially of public uh, universities but um we've seen a, i think a number of uh, uh ways in which the supporters of the university have have and our faculty have have risen to the to the to the challenge. Uh, continuing um, excellent figures for externally funded research, um, uh, continuing uh, records or close to record figures for uh, philanthropy and and private giving uh, uh, to the university, um, both of which are vital parts of what we do. And 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 in spite of all that, uh, I think the the. Um, Though we, though the climate has been difficult for us in in the state with respect to our state legislature, one only has to look at some other states in this country to to realise that um, uh, a number of other states have had it a lot harder than we've had it here as well. So, so uh, it it has it has been a struggle, but there are, there are others who have have endured um, uh, even worse than what we've had to endure. I'm interested to hear your reaction to one of the thoughts that I heard from from someone who's in the majority, the um, venerable Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Luke Kenley, told me once that when you talk about the the legislative climate and when you talk about the uh, reticence for, of state government to spend money on higher education, what Luke Kenley said to me is, no, 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 no. This is a this is an issue of Costs raising beyond the rate of inflation, 
And so when IU raises tuition at two or three times the rate of inflation is what he tells me, it looks like the state's appropriation is decreasing, that, that they're cutting state funding when in fact they're trying to keep up with the growth of the economy as opposed to outpace it. I, I mean, what do you think of that idea? Because that seems to be the, the idea that, that IU is overspending. And I, I mean, that seems to be the, the, the MO that's driving what's in the majority in the legislature right well, now. Well, I, I think the, the, the key thing about the universities, if you, if you try to compare spending at universities with, with businesses, is, is and when you look at things like uh, CPI, I mean, CPI basically measures the increase in the cost of um, a basket of, of goods, supermarket goods and so on as well. I mean, we're not a supermarket. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when you look at what are the cost drivers uh, in a university, um, th- there are probably three major areas. Um, one of one of them uh, is uh, the the cost of retaining and recruiting the very best faculty. Uh, even in spite of of the recession, and in spite of um, uh, the, the 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 much more difficult uh, financial climate, uh, good faculty uh, remain in demand. And and remember that um, we are we are also starting to see um, the very significant expansion and improvement in quality. Of institutions overseas, I mean, there there are vast amounts of money being poured into higher education in in, uh, in China in particular, mm. but also in in Korea and other parts of Asia, and, and uh, now in Germany and the, the Russia is now getting into the act as well. And people are being offered huge packages to to move uh, to move to to other places and so on as well. So, uh, although we're not seeing that much of that yet, the the pressures are there, and sooner or later we're going to be facing those, but we're certainly facing the pressures domestically from from people, even at the depths of the depression, we were having to deal with recruitment and and retention of our best faculty. So that's one driver. A second driver is information technology. While you see see information technology um, continuing to increase at uh, a factor of... um, uh, two uh, every uh, every year or eighteen months or so. The, the famous so-called Moore's law. You're going to continually face the need to refresh that technology every three to four to five years. An area which I'm intimately familiar, having been responsible for having to get all that organised at IU for for many years. And then the third one is healthcare. Uh, our healthcare costs are now approximating two hundred million dollars out of a budget of three billion. And uh, and that was, I think, when I started as president. I think, from memory, that figure was uh, closer to about 160 or, or less. There, so that that that's so. Those are the big drivers there, and uh, and and that's and that's why we're different to to, and that's why the CPI doesn't necessarily tell all the story about what's driving our costs within the university. As much as we do what we can to to constrain those costs within the university. And CPI, Consumer Price Index, correct? Yes. yes absolutely. Yes. Okay. All right. Perfect. <laughs> let, let, let me give our phone numbers again. Uh, our, our guest today is, of course, President Michael McRobbie from Indiana University. Uh, you have one of the more distinctive voices of our, the guests that we have. Yes, right I don't know how people can recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. Or you can go to WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, our website, to join a live chat. Uh, I wanted to mention you have really taken a different uh, – maybe a, a little bit uh, different strategy than some of your uh, partners uh, who are presidents of universities and other captains of industry in that I think you've said this is a good time to invest. I think you you have invested in a, a lot of uh, – building and construction because costs are down. And I also believe that you've tried to go out and recruit some of the 
the better faculty members that you could find. Yeah, that's 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 exactly right, Bob. Uh, we we, I, we when the recession started, I said we we, we would have two main priorities. Um, uh, what one was that we would continue to to recruit as as much as we could, and, and we have, and um, certainly the the deans have told me that um, the quality of um, many of the uh, uh, people who we've appointed in the last couple of uh, years have have uh, been just of extraordinary quality. I mean, uh, some of the best appointments we've we've uh, we've ever made, and they put that down to the fact that. That um, uh, that though people had continued to recruit nationally, that it had clearly fallen off, and uh, and anybody who was still recruiting in that environment was was um, uh, was going to be in an advantage, and I think we were able to uh, benefit from that. And then secondly, uh, at a, at a time when the building industry had had pretty much collapsed, um, if you if you were continuing to build and were able to build as as we as we were. Um, the cost of of building um, had dropped um, uh, uh, enormously. I think the the fig- at one point the average uh, cost was twenty five percent below estimate uh, that we were seeing on some buildings it was as much as forty percent below as well. Also, the cost of money um, is now at record uh, lows as well. So so and it continues today. I think we've seen a bit of a spike backwards, but but. Uh, I would hope that we can continue, um, and the trustees have been very supportive of this, and the the state by and large has been helpful um, uh, in terms of approvals here. Uh, I would hope that we can continue to to build, because when you look at the history of Indiana University, uh, many of the the great iconic buildings um, from the late 30s and 40s were built in a similar climate, and I think that uh, President Wells understood that at the time and did all he could to to leverage and benefit um, similar conditions uh, that pertained at that time as well. Mm-hmm. We've got a question that came in uh, over our live chat here, which you can find at indianapublicmedia.org slash noon edition. Um, Matthew Call on Twitter asks this question. It's a bit of a change in subject, but uh, President McRobbie, he asks, how great a threat to the traditional university does the recent surge of higher education startups represent? I assume he's talking about online for-profit universities. And what do you think the uh, university's response uh, has been and should be? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, that's a that's an excellent question. In fact, I think I think that issue in general is is one that is um, that that really, really is in many ways sort of dominating uh, people's thoughts um, at at the moment. Uh, um, I there's no doubt that uh, when when people talk about information technology uh, changing the face of education, um, I would say it's already done that, and it and it started doing it decades ago. Um, uh, now, the generation in college at the moment who's been in college maybe the last, I don't know, four or five years or something like that, is, is the first fully digital generation. That is, they, they grew up from birth um, with uh, access to um, computers and, and, and software for them even as little kids um, and, and have, have, uh, uh, have used social media, have used texting, have used instant messaging, have used all, all that technology since they were tiny and and it's just a natural part of what they do, and it has become naturally incorporated into into the curriculum to greater or lesser degree right throughout the university. Um, the question is how to how to deal with that more um, systematically uh, in the future. And I uh, asked um, 
Dean Bobby Schnabel to uh, do a review of online education at, in the university now, I think about a year ago, uh, did an excellent report and, and uh, I basically approved most of what he did based on extensive consultations with faculty and staff and deans and others throughout the, the university and we're now starting to work on sort of implementing various parts of that and I established a, 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 an office of online ed- education as well. Some of our campuses are, are moving particularly aggressively in, the, in, in this area to um, provide a, a lot of online education um, uh, opportunities, either parts of parts of courses, whole courses, whole degrees, and so on as well. I, I do I do think though that 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 what what one will see is the assuming that the startups can mature as industries, and there has been a lot of controversy about many of these startups. I think, as you're well aware, Congress has I think shown some concern about that. But assuming the industry can maybe mature more and become a little. Um, um, are more sort of self-regulated in their standards and, and, and so on as well in terms of the perception of their value to, to, to customers. Um, there, there are probably going to be many colleges and universities who, who um, will be affected by competition with them. I don't see much evidence yet, and, I, and, I, and I, it's hard to see how this would happen. I don't see much evidence yet of um, campuses like Bloomington in particular, large, high-quality residential campuses, really being affected much by the online startups because there is a role that we play in the education of of, of uh, basically young people that that um, I think is unique and is still one that the marketplace seems to me demonstrates um, is is enormously valued. Um, we have far more students applying for places at IU than at IU Bloomington in particular than we can than we can. Um, than we can accept, and and uh, even though we keep saying we're at saturation point, we always manage to increase it by a hundred or so every year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering. I, I mean, and I, I I totally recognize that one trivializes the on-campus four-year um, liberal arts or even public state institution degree at their own peril um, because the, it's kind of a fallacious road to go down. On the other hand. You know, one of the things that that for profits say is, why do you need to go on campus to earn, uh, a, say, a, a degree in in criminal justice or something like that? You know, I'm thinking of, of popular online degrees. What's the purpose of of going to Indiana University to attain a degree at higher cost that you can earn at a for profit university online? And no, you're not getting an on campus experience, but for the cost you're getting, I mean, isn't there there a bang for your buck argument to well, be made I, in I, there? Well, I think that the value that you get from from an IU degree, in, in state IU degree, and out of state for that matter, but an in state IU degree is extraordinary. I mean, it's the lowest in the Big Ten. It, uh, uh, three out of every four IU students get some form of financial aid. Um, uh, you get uh, extremely high quality educational experience, but but um, the, the, I think the key part of the the, the answer to, to your question is sure there are some degrees for which that 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 makes sense, and I certainly think for the more mature student that's um, uh, that's exactly what what they want. Um, but the but the, for for the for the younger student, the thing the thing that ha- that I think has the most impact on them. Is is the relationship with a, with a teacher that will inspire him or her for the rest of their life? I mean, it, it is it, it's a unique it's it's a unique thing that only universities can provide, and and it's that it's that exchange and interaction of of um, the the student and 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 teachers um, are on, on a regular basis, and students with students 
and students utilizing the facilities of, of the university and, and students um, engaging in the extraordinary range of extracurricular activities that makes an education uh, in, in a university like like IU, in particular in Bloomington, I mean, just a, a completely unique um, experience. It's the it's the whole experience that 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 students want. Um, and as I said, I mean, the marketplace continues to to show that it is that is enormously um, uh, enormously in demand. And your point about liberal education, I mean, I, I I just think that that is one of the most fundamental components of higher education in America, and it is. And, and it does amaze me as someone who's come from another part of the world, though, of course, I'm a citizen and been here a long time now. But 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 when you step outside, um, the rest of the world is envious of the quality of our system of higher education. And they understand that at root, it's liberal education that that really is the intellectual driving force and power behind behind that uh, education. And, and although I think it is uh, th- that online has an, an enormously important role to play in all that as an adjunct as providing parts and components of it, I don't believe that someone sitting at home in their basement in front of a, in front of their computer all day gets anything remotely like the experience they get of an on-campus residential experience at, at a campus like Bloomington. Mm-hmm. I, and I'd say we were talking about enrollment numbers. Uh, I do have some numbers. I think the spring enrollment – 40,479 students in Bloomington, which is the highest ever. Right. Um, and also, I, I love this topic because the idea of, uh, of coming to a campus like Bloomington rather than just taking courses online, I mean, to me, it's almost like you know, a lot of students come to Bloomington for three years or three and a half years, and then they, they also get the experience of going to University of Bologna for – Yeah, you know, right. You know, well, you right. could take courses from the University of Bologna, but it wouldn't be quite the same thing. Right. It's going right. there. And exactly. Being exactly. immersed in it. And, and, you know, Bob, that's – I mean, that is life-changing. We're, we're, mm-hmm. When students spend that period of time studying abroad, I think you know it's been a priority of mine. Mm-hmm. We do very well. We're, I was delighted that we're now um, ranked eighth in the country out of – I think it's something like 3,000 universities in terms of numbers who, who study abroad. But, but that's still only about a third or less than a third of our um, – mm-hmm. Uh, undergraduate uh, graduating class on, on on the Bloomington campus and so on. I mean, it'd be nice to. I'd like to try and lift that to you know maybe first forty percent and then maybe up to fifty percent over the over the rest of this decade. Mm-hmm. All right, we have to take a short break. Sure. Uh, we're, we're talking with President Michael McRobbie of Indiana University. If you want to join us for the second half of the program, please phone us at eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or you can join us on the website uh, wfiu dot org slash noon edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And from Premier Ortho. Online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. 
And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Kyle Stokes from Impact Indiana and WFIU. Today we're talking to Indiana University President Michael McRobbie. If you have questions or comments, please join us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition to join a live chat. Uh, we brought up the the notion or the idea of the, the cost of higher education before, and I know one issue that uh, seems to be more and more uh, prevalent is the, the idea of uh, student debt. People are getting out of college. They have a lot of money that they own. And I know that's been an issue with the legislature and also the university has taken some steps to try to address that. Your new summer school program, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, this is this is a, um, a very exciting initiative, and uh, I think it's what is it? The week after next, uh, students will start enrolling for what we what we're really calling uh, generically the the summer semester, and um, and you know here I must give great credit to our faculty because because the the, the basic idea of of moving from um, two short summer sessions with a break between them to one uh, combined. Um, uh, summer semester came out of uh, uh, some work that the Bloomington Faculty Council did now over a year ago, and uh, uh, I thought that was a, a very creative idea, and they, they gave good arguments for why that was that was worth doing, and um, and and then when we looked at it, uh, we started to think about how can we how can we actually use this as a as a way of really trying to uh, sort of rethink the whole academic year. Uh, and and to and to make that um, a really attractive possibility for for our students and uh, and what we decided to do was to discount tuition for the for the summer semester by I think as you know twenty twenty five percent and um, when you think I, I always like to to do these sort of thought experiments when when you think about the academic year we have a fall semester we have a spring semester and 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 you say well why is that well it really goes back to our agrarian past because. People would would basically that was the cold months. The harvests were in. They go off, study, come back, help with the harvest and whatever else needed to be done. Uh, quite often, it was the season for wolves as well. And uh, and then people would go back to university. Well, the world's changed, and and we we're still keeping this sort of residue in terms of the nature of our academic year from our agrarian past. And and uh, if you were redesigning the academic year from scratch now, it wouldn't look like what it looks now. Uh, but but um, bearing in mind that, that obviously any kind of major change would be uh, uh, of the two semesters we have at the moment would be very difficult. The, the best way of of bringing our academic year more into line with uh, contemporary realities is by reconfiguring the, the the summer period, which is the, which means turning it into a summer semester. So um, by discounting tuition twenty five percent over that period, we will. Reduce the overall cost of a degree. It'll uh, if a student takes a full load over summer, it'll reduce the total cost by about a thousand dollars over over that semester as well, uh, and reduce the cost of their degree. I think by something around uh, uh, about eight uh, percent for a full degree. Um, 
it will reduce the cost. It will reduce the time to degree if they if they wish to accelerate their progress towards a degree. That will in turn have an effect on graduation rates, and it will have an effect on debt because they'll require less money if they're needing to borrow or take loans for for uh, for funds uh, to to help them. Um, uh, finish their their degrees. So, so um, so far uh, we announced this. Now, what about I think four months ago, five months ago, uh, uh, the reaction has be, has been um, enormously positive from I think just every single parent and and student I've spoken to. But we'll start to see over the next month. Yeah, I think. I mean, part of this also is just trying to signal. I mean, the state legislative pressures have been cut, 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 and and not just cut budgets, but try and cut cost of attendance for students. And I, I wonder if 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 you feel as though the reaction from state legislature, from the state legislator and state lawmakers, was was equally positive because. You know, of course, this is about reducing costs for students, and that's the that's the part of this. But if if we don't, if if Indiana University isn't able to sate state lawmakers, then they're going to want more. And I mean, I, I, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Oh, look, um, I, I, I think the reaction uh, from members of the legislature and, uh, uh, and, and, and other people in, um, in, in politics in the state has been uniformly positive. Uh, people have been very generous and, uh, and were just very, very pleased by this. And they saw this as a, um, a serious attempt by, by Indiana University to, to, um, uh, to restructure its its uh, academic year and bring it uh, more into to line with uh, the, the the modern world and um, as I said you know credit to the the faculty who really initiated uh, the, this idea uh, and uh, I think you know when I when I announced this I announced it with um, Senator uh, former Senator Teresa Lovers the the uh, uh, head of the higher Ed- education commission um, in the uh, in the state as well, and she was uh, she's been uh, extremely positive. And since then, um, most other universities in the state have have come forward with with similar uh, programs uh, to the one that uh, that we've announced. Now, my hope is, I think, as as you know, that that um, and 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 we we just this is an experiment, and we'll see how this goes. I, I'm pretty optimistic, but uh, I would hope that we could increase the number of students. Uh, who, if you combine the two um, present um, summer sessions, comprise about 20% of the average of the um, fall and spring semesters, we can increase that from 20% to to about 40% over the next, say, five years. That's roughly what I'm looking at in terms of what I think would be an indication that this was a successful move. Mm-hmm. I have a personal invitation for Drew to call us back from Columbus. He was on the phone earlier, oh. but, but he, he uh, is no longer there. Anybody else who wants to call us and talk with the Indiana University President Michael McRobbie? Uh, our phone number is again 855-0811-877-285-9348, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, I wanted to ask a, a broad question about the role of the, the regional campuses. We have a lot of listeners who are within uh, probably walking distance of regional campuses and, and the role of the regionals uh, vis-a-vis I, Ivy Tech because I, I think that the, the role has evolved and changed over, over time. Yeah, you probably remember Bob that one of the one of the first things I did, or certainly one of the things I did very early on, early on in my first year, was that I I got uh, us Indiana University out of the associate's degree business. Um, I said that uh, that that in terms of uh, degrees, Indiana University and in particular its regional campuses would be focusing on baccalaureate degrees, bachelor's degrees, and on master's degrees, and obviously uh, PhDs and, and uh, other 
other uh, higher terminal degrees on the other campuses, but on the regional campuses in particular, it's bachelor's degrees and, and, and master's degrees and, and um, associate's degrees, which had been such an area of contention between us and Ivy Tech. We would simply let Ivy Tech take, uh, take care of, but obviously ensuring that we have all the appropriate um, mechanisms for uh, transfer and articulation between those associates degrees and, and, and our degrees as well. That happened pretty rapidly and it, it happened uh, pretty smoothly and I think we've only kept a couple of associates degrees in areas where they don't offer, Ivy Tech doesn't offer associates degrees. It's um, uh, the, the collaborative relationship with Ivy Tech to make that happen worked extremely well and uh, and I think what it's done is provide a clear differentiation between what our regional campuses provide, which is which is a, a first-rate baccalaureate, um, master's level education within that region that is of a kind that's both relevant and responsive to the needs of that region of, of the state. And I think that's very much the direction that uh, our regional campuses have gone. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Drew, thanks for calling back. I really appreciate it. Let's go to Drew. Hi, Drew Robertson calling from Columbus. Thank you, Drew. Um, I, I'll address President McRobbie directly, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Uh, first of all, I'd say a, a few weeks ago I heard you on the jazz program and learned that we have very similar taste in music. Oh, well, I, that's uh, very kind of you. <laughs> so you, um, you like anything from about 1959 onwards, is that it? <laughs> uh, about 1945 onwards. Oh. <laughs> um I'm a graduate of Indiana University myself. My son will be starting there this fall. Mm-hmm. I do have uh, a number of concerns about the, your reasons why higher education spending is different from uh, from inflation in general. And I'll just address one uh, that may be on the minds of the state legislators and I think is on the minds of many Indiana taxpayers. And that is that uh, when they support higher education, by and large, I think taxpayers and the legislators presume that they're trying to support undergraduate education. Then we hear you speak of uh, recruiting the very best faculty, largely to the good. But then we hear stories of very high-powered, highly touted faculty recruited 